Well, that is awesome. And God is good, and he has worked through you in significant ways, and I believe he's going to continue to do this. This is just the beginning. Again, it's not just the historic sanctuary that's going to make a difference. I mean, we are opening up a whole new youth complex. Uh, we relocated that. We have relocated, and we're going to open up a, a wow children's wing. Um, this space right here is going to get... Um, some new media. Uh, so it, it's just, it's all good. And we're getting a lot out of what you have given. And so I want to thank you for that. Um, before we read the scripture, I want to share with you, as you know, we're in the midst of a two-week series entitled God Breathe. And we really do believe what, what Paul wrote Timothy, that the scripture is, is God breathed. It's inspired. It's illuminated with the spirit. I'll talk more about that. But one of the things we want to do is make sure that everybody has a readable Bible. Okay? It may be that you have a Bible and you've held on to it and it's worn out and it's precious to you. That's okay. If it's worn out, that means your life is not. You're doing okay if you're using it and uh, the pages are dog-eared and the cover's uh, ruffled up. But it may be time to replace it. And maybe you want something that's a little more readable in terms of version. Maybe you want to study Bible. Um, right out in the gathering area, Kimberly Archer, one of our staff persons, has laid out, based on consignment from a local Christian bookstore, um, an array of Bibles. Uh, different translations, everything from the King James uh, to the Message. And there's children's Bibles, there's adolescent Bibles for youth. And so take a look at those, and we're going to make it easy for you. If you see one, we'll order it for you and get it to you. Uh, we do ask that you'd pay for it. <laughs> but we're making it easier for you. Um, and so if you would like a new Bible, you let us know. If you know somebody that would want one that does not have one, it might be a good gift. Nothing like placing the Word of God in somebody's hands. All right, we're going to take a look at the Word, and I'd like for us to take a look at the Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. And this is Paul talking to his younger brother in the faith, really a younger son in the faith. And I'll read this for us. You, however, know all about my teachings, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you've learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful to teaching, rebuking, correction, 
and training in righteousness. Why, Paul? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word that it is timeless and it's applicable to our lives today. And while it transformed others in an earlier era, we in this moment are shaped by it. And so with your Holy Spirit and this unwavering scripture, we pray that you will bring about in us Christ-likeness. Transform us, change us, mold us and make us to live the message. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. The Bible, still the number one seller, bestseller of all time. But some things are changing. A survey was done in 2012, 2012, three years ago, and it was research that studied and it was commissioned by the American Bible Society and by the Barna Research Group. And it revealed some good news and some not so good news about Bible reading and biblical literacy in America. First, here is some encouraging news. 85% of households own at least one Bible. The average number of Bibles in a home, where there is at least one, 4.3 Bibles in a home. 69% of Americans believe the Bible provides answers on how to live a meaningful life. That's, that's, That's a good word. That's encouraging. But here's the not so good news. 20% 20% or excuse me 26% of Americans have never read the Bible. Many of them have it in their home but they've never read it. 10% read it once a year. 79% of those surveyed believe that they are knowledgeable about the Bible. They feel like they have a, a pretty good command of the Bible, but when asked to name 3 books they could not. of those surveyed believe the Bible, the Koran, and the Book of Mormon are all different expressions of the same spiritual truths. And the number one reason why people say they do not read the Bible, just can't find time for it. It says a lot about biblical illiteracy in America and the church. It also speaks about the changing demographics in our nation. But those of us who are followers of Christ, committed to seeking the will of Jesus in our lives, we are blessed and we have been given a gift and it's called the Holy Spirit. And that same Holy Spirit that inspired The authors that illuminated them, we call it the theology of illumination, 
that gave them the revelation, that same spirit that showed up when they inscribed these words, when they recorded the words of Jesus, when they chronicled the acts of God, when they described salvation history, the same inspiring Holy Spirit has been imparted to us because we're on this side of the resurrection. And so when Jesus ascended into heaven, he says, I leave with you an advocate, a helper, and this helper will help guide you. So in a wonderful way, we not only have what the Old Testament was referred to as the Holy Writ, but we've got something else, and that is we synthesize it, we interpret it in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is huge. And so that is why, that is why the, the Protestant movement unfolded. In part because they wanted to put a Bible in common language into the hands of everyone. Obviously, he wanted to hear my message. <laughs> why would they take a child out when he wants to hear my message? Um, but seriously, the Protestant Reformation said, we believe that every person ought to engage in the Holy Scriptures, and so we're going to print it and make it available to the common person. They understood that we've been imparted the Holy Spirit to interpret the Scripture. But part of the sadness in this, well, I like what my mother-in-law said years ago. She has dementia and Alzheimer's now and she lives with us but I she was a special ed teacher and one part of the day she would work with gifted students and the latter part of the day she would work with those that had learning challenges learning disabilities and so she worked the spectrum and we were talking about reading and literacy in general and I said what do you think about the issue of literacy in our country and our culture. And she said, you know, it's sad, Tim, when somebody can't read. Because when somebody reads, a whole world is opened up to them. But she said, you know what is even more sad for me? I said, what? She said, those who know how to read but are mentally lazy and choose not to. But those who have been taught and those who have been instructed and have the ability, the competency level and the comprehension level to read and yet choose not to engage in reading makes her sad. And I think that same principle holds true for the Bible. That we've been afforded what many longed for. Those in the Old Testament longed for the fulfillment of Christ. Those in the Old Testament times longed to see the reflection of God's word in what we know as the New Testament church and in the biblical writings. And so if we really believe that God gave us this word 
And we believe it's more than a collection of ancient stories and rules, but somehow the very word of God has been imparted to us, coupled with that Holy Spirit. We should hunger for it. We should long for it. And so in this two-week period, hopefully, we have begun to, to address how does God use the Bible and, and to give us a reading on ourselves. The wonderful thing about the Bible is when we read the Bible, in reality, the Bible reads us. And when we crack open the Bible and begin to digest the truths of Scripture, the Bible opens us up. And so today, what I'd like for us to do is take a look again at this strange book, but very dangerous book, because I say it's dangerous because if we do step into the scripture, it will change us. It will transform us. And so last Sunday, we talked about the reliability of scripture, the authority of scripture in a culture of situational ethics and pluralism and relativity when it comes to right and wrong, we have a text that is timeless and without error in all that it affirms. What I want to talk about today is how it's still relative to our lives. Look at your message notes with me. Joshua 1.8 in the Old Testament. See, there was a love for the, the law of God in the Old Testament. Do not let this book depart from your mouth Meditate on it day and night so that when you see so that in scripture, that means for the purpose of so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be what? Prosperous and what? You will be pros prosperous and successful if you will. It's an if then if you will meditate on it day and night and let it become a part of you. How do you do that, Tim? Well, there are a couple of things that are helpful when you have your own quiet time with God and you have the scripture and, and you're reading through a text. For example, you have your Lenten reading that we offered up, and I hope you're using it. There was a good response to it. What you do is you, you do an observation first of the text. Remember the, the science project uh, you would have as part of your science project, an observation. Do you remember that? I vaguely remember that. And, uh, and, and you would make an observation about the experiment and you would record it and you would try to glean from that observation. In the same way, related to Holy Scripture, you open up your Bible, you read the text, and you try to get the context. What is going on? Where is this taking me? Who is really involved? What has actually occurred and how does this relate to the rest of the passage? See, that helps us from proof texting. It would be easy to use certain scriptures to justify our wrong behavior or to try to hurt someone else when we proof text, when we simply take something out of context and say, see, I told you. But what we are called to do as thinking believers is to say, okay, contextually, who's involved here? What's going on? How has the culture helped to inform what's going on? And help me, God, to get the bigger picture on what is unfolding. Just an observation. The second is interpretation. You ask the question, 
What was it that the author who was inspired was trying to communicate? Why was this story, why was this commandment, why was this stipulation placed in the scripture? And why here? And what is the overriding implication? What is God saying through the author? And and that's very important to try to glean the interpretive principle when you go to scripture. And for me, that helps me in this whole argument, do we take it figuratively or literally? Well, as I said last week, seriously is key. And as you go to the scripture seriously, you look for the principle. Jesus said, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, was Jesus committed to us being amputees? No. There's a principle there. And he's using language, hyperbole, to drive home a key point that if something about you continues to cause you to sin, that's self-destructive, a behavior, or it's dehumanizing to someone else, rid yourself of it, remove that vice, ask God to eradicate that from your life. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He's not committed to vision impairment. God is saying, if you're struggling with wandering eyes, if you're looking at things that are inappropriate, if lust is creeping in the back door, be careful what you're looking at. And so you do some interpretive work. You you put on your brain and you say, what is the real message here? See, that was the beauty of Scripture related to Jesus and the parables. He told a beautiful story that everybody got drawn into because there's power in story. When I say the words, once upon a time, automatically you want to know what's next. And Jesus understood that, and he would tell parables because he wanted them to go deeper under the surface. That's interpretation. And then finally, and this is the hard one, Because we can say, okay, here are the observations, and there's not really a question about literal or symbolic here. I think I know what the inspired author is saying. I think I know what God's trying to communicate here. It's the application. It means, how will this change me? Everything now shifts to my thought process, my behavior. My compassion level. And so when you're doing your Lenten reading, you need to ask the question, okay, what's the message for me and how will this bring change to me? How does this apply to me? Well, Paul is writing, and he helps us. He says, all scripture is God-breathed, inspired, so that, for the purpose of, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He goes on to say, and the author of Hebrews says, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even 
to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is where the application comes in. The application comes in that when I encounter Scripture and, and synthesized with the Holy Spirit at work, that's when I begin to see change. And I'm able to superimpose myself on that Scripture. And God is able to judge my thoughts and my attitudes. You see, the second letter to Timothy Paul loves Timothy. That's his spiritual son. And he understands the need to come alongside of Timothy. One reason is that Timothy did not have a believing father. He was not a Christian. But Timothy's grandmother and mother were converted Christians. And so as a father-like figure, Paul comes along and he says, in fact, he says it in a couple of references in these epistles, my spiritual son. And as we read earlier, he says, you know the things that have been taught to you. You know the scriptures. And you need to recognize that you are living in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves and lovers of money, boastful and proud and abusive and disobedient and ungrateful and unholy. And so don't forget what has been a part of your life. Don't forget the instruction that has been embedded in your heart. And, and be changed by this God-breathed document. And it gives us some purposes. Paul speaks to these purposes. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful. Let's take a look at these. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Teaching. Why are we so committed to opening up a complex for our students, our youth? Why are we so committed to opening up a children's wing? Not so that we'll draw kids from other churches. Not because we wanted to gather up some money and spend it. It's because we want to have a climate environment for teaching. And the things that are taught going on right now will always be with our kids. And so putting ourselves in a place of instruction when coming to the text and learning about the Bible. A couple of weeks ago, you'll remember, we presented Bibles to our children. And it was a part of a Bible club where Liz helped them with some memorization. You know that memorization continues because when I pray with my mother-in-law, before we pray, or before Delia prays, or Jordan prays with her, we'll reference a scripture. She doesn't know where the bathroom is. She doesn't know where the kitchen is. But she can recite Psalm 23 and John 3.16. Why? Because she was trained, and that was stuff she could never get away from. And it's still part of her soul. 
and then for correction and rebuking. <laughs> this is where it gets tough because, you know, there are some things in Scripture I wish were stated differently about my own behavior, about my own prejudice, about my own stinking thinking. And, and, and I, I wish it wasn't there, but it is there. And it brings correction and it brings guidance and it brings reproof and hopefully eventually repentance. You know, I uh, have a friend of mine who had a radical conversion. And when we talk about our conversions together, when we came to know Jesus, they're different. They're very different. His was a road to Damascus kind. You know what I'm talking about? Where Paul was blinded. I mean, it was the kind where he, like Paul, was doing things against God and on a road to Damascus. In a moment in time, he was changed, radically changed. Mine was more like the road to Emmaus. It was gradual. And over a long period of time. And so we were talking about that. And, and uh, we were celebrating that both of us, you know, we were born again. I, he came through the birth canal and it was radical. I took forever to be born again. But he and I were talking and I said, you know, your, your conversion is so dramatic and so vivid. And, and mine really isn't. And he said, that's okay, Tim. Because you need to celebrate, you need to be thankful that you were protected from a lot of stuff. You need to be thankful that you had a youth pastor that discipled you. You need to be thankful that you had parents that wanted you to go to vacation Bible school. You need to be thankful that you were able to learn the guidance of God's word early. I was not as protected. And while I'm forgiven, I still have some regrets because of my lack of training, if you would. And so I'm grateful for the reproving and the correction that comes from Scripture. And then finally, training. And, and, and that's important. And when we're training, it's not... It's not like trying. You know, if I want to run a marathon, I guess I could just step out and run from mailbox to mailbox, and that would be a good try. But training would mean like one of you in here, you get up early, you, you, you run at noon, and you run in the evening, and you've got a program, and, and it's over a long course, and it's a, a year-long process. In the same way, when we learn our own discipleship, we need to take the long view. And the scripture helps us with teaching and reproof and training. And so this word, while we may make observations and while we may glean and say, okay, the scripture's saying this, the key is that last part, application. It's to live the message. And the wonderful thing about scripture, it does have power. When people are in crisis, in a hospital bed, in a jail. This book that is read, it leads them through the valley of the shadow of death. 
They can fear no evil, for God is with them. That's what the word says. And when a marriage dies or hope is lost, God's word is power. God's word, the same word that was at the beginning of creation that spoke the world into motion and all of cosmos is that same word that we have now imparted into our hands. The same spirit that said, let there be light is the same spirit that allowed us to have the gospel of John. And it convicts of sin It brings hope in times of despair. It brings power in moments of weakness. It gives guidance in times of darkness. And it is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. It is the story that gives your story meaning. And so I want to encourage you as we close out this two-week series. Let that word come alive in you. Listen to it in your car. Whisper it to yourself when you wake up in the morning or when you go to bed at night. Put it on a sticky note on your truck dashboard or a sticky note on the laundry basket and speak forth the word of God that was once spoken to you back to God. Think about that. My daughter, Rebecca, answered the other day. She was uh, back, it was around Christmas time, and she was saying something, and she said something out loud, and she said, oh my gosh, that sounds like mom. (laughs) And it did. It had the same inflection, the same content. What a wonderful thing when we say something that sounds so much like God, when we say the word of God back to God. There is power. And so become a student of that word. Study it, meditate it, memorize it, ask questions about it. But most of all, let's let, as a church, let's do what it says. In your message notes, I want us to say together as an affirmation, uh, Joshua 1a, it's there. And I read it earlier, but I want us to say that together. Joshua 1a. And this is my prayer. And let it be a prayer for all of us. Let's say it together. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. That is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word that is limitless, timeless, and ever applying to our lives. And God, we just ask that that word would come alive in a fresh and new way. Lord, use that word when we read it. Lord, when we sing it. And when we meditate on it. And may it shape us and transform us that we might be little Christ proclaiming your word. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.